You're listening to Guitars and Granola Bars, episode 11. Thank you so much for joining me here on Guitars and Granola Bars, Music Therapist Talk Motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Ramback, and this podcast is for music therapists and anyone else balancing a passion-fueled career with being a mom. In this episode, I'm chatting with Danielle Orr. Danielle began her journey as a mother during her junior year of her music therapy degree. The role of mother and music therapist gave her unique insights into both worlds and was a trial of strength as she supported herself and her son through school, internship, and starting a business. Located in the Willamette Valley in Oregon, Danielle has started a vibrant new private practice and supports her son as a single mother. Music has enriched their relationship and created resilience to the struggles of supporting a baby and a business. Welcome to the podcast, Danielle. Thanks so much for being with me. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's get started with a little bit about your background and how you became a music therapist. Yeah, I began my journey um, similarly to how others in my school began their journey. Merrillhurst was a very unconventional school in that we had such diverse uh, students ranging from the 18-year-old freshman to the 40 50-year-old freshman and beyond and everyone in between. And I really fell into that. Um, I had lots of experience in college. This was not my first degree um, or first start at a degree. I was actually an art history studio major and in psychology and English back to psychology and it just wasn't clicking And then I had a very profound healing experience with music. And that's when I knew it was just so instant that I knew this is what I was supposed to do. And so I I pursued that interest. I uh, began taking music classes at community college. I transferred to Merrillhurst University, which is just outside of Portland, Oregon. Um, It's a wonderful school. I highly recommend it. Um, And then I completed my studies there. I actually had my son in the middle of my studies at Merrillhurst. And um, then I continued on to a medical internship at a hospital in uh, downtown Phoenix. Uh, That's in Arizona. And um, I finished that. and, And I had quite a surprise as I had a couple of job offers after internship and and really did some uh, deep soul searching and and found that the best answer for me was actually to start my own private practice. And that's what I'm doing right now. So this is my my background. I work specifically more with pain management, medical populations, um, children and their development and mental health and and so on. So I have a diverse uh, client population. And when you went into private practice, was that sort of your focus as far as client populations went? Or is that the population that seemed to need music therapy around where you were? So where I'm living right now, there's actually not much in the way of music therapy. As far as I've researched and asked around in my community, there's only been one other music therapist that's doing music therapy, and that's with children with disabilities um, through only one um, organization. So there were 
all of these other institutions that as soon as I mentioned that I was a music therapist, they said, we have to have you. We, we need music and we recognize the need for it. And they spoke with such um, compassion about their, their patients and saw the value in music therapy. I really couldn't turn that down. And so um, that's why I created this is um, that I saw the benefit for the community and not just for my practice, but also to um, increase availability to those patients for music therapy services. And I see this growing um, to invite other music therapists to come down to this area and, and to really grow and to serve this population. So. Okay. So that's, I know kind of the feeling of being sort of the only music therapist in your area, which can be a little bit overwhelming because there are so many areas and facilities in need of your services. Um, but that's so fantastic that you were able to take advantage of that and start your private practice right away and have so much interest from the get-go. Yeah, and wonderful that like I didn't get a single no. I was so terrified when I started making some just general queries and talking to people. I was like, oh, they're going to, I'm going to have to defend what music therapy is. And I'm going to have to teach them everything about what I do. And, and the very first person I talked to was like, oh, so when can you start? Oh my gosh. I haven't even presented about music therapy. He just knew, he knew that what I did was, was beneficial. And there's this knowledge of what music therapy is. And I'm really blessed to be in that kind of community to, um, to be in such an informed public. And I still have to do some education, but they're very accepting and, and willing to listen to what I have to say. And I've, I've never gotten a no from someone. So. so would you say that your area is pretty progressive then, just in general? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that makes a difference compared to other parts of the country. Yes. Definitely. That's great. Uh, but I think we face kind of similar challenges in that um, if you you have to meet your community with the level of education that they need. So I really had to adjust. So my challenge was still as challenging as if I had gone to a completely conservative community that wanted nothing to do with music therapy because I had to change everything about what I was doing. I went in expecting that I really had to bring out everything and, and give my all. Um, and it changed very quickly. Yeah. So I really doubt. Wow. Wow. So you mentioned earlier that you became pregnant with your son while you were completing your music therapy degree. So that means while you were building up this practice and jumping into professional life as a music therapist, you were also working your way through motherhood. How did that work? <sighs> Well, it wasn't quite as easy as I thought. I mean, I knew there'd be challenges, but postpartum, it was just a whole nother world. Um, I didn't expect to get pregnant. Uh, my pregnancy was an unexpected blessing and the father chose to not be involved. And I decided with um, a great deal of counsel from spiritual leaders, social workers, friends, family, and my own personal prayer and soul searching. Um, and it really wasn't a decision that I took lightly. I knew that the road ahead wasn't going to be easy. It wasn't the, the easy route. And, um, and I had to decide not for me, but for my son. 
um, how what was going to be the best path for us. Um, and so I, I decided I, I had personal confirmation and it was really um, actually an experience that I had just in a practice room at school where I was playing these deep, rich jazz chords on the piano. And it was just such a, a full emotional experience. And I was vocally improv improvising and, and I just had this confirmation and I, I felt this beautiful, sweet spirit inside of me um, who was my son. And, and I just knew that I had to do everything I possibly could to protect this little spirit. And, and I knew what I needed to do and so I moved forward with my face to the wind and I've never looked back. I couldn't imagine my life without my son or without the route that I chose, I, you know, with the, the decision to continue with school. And it was really a, a difficult decision to continue with school. But uh, once that decision was made, there was no looking back and, and I can't imagine having not gone through with it. And, and even I went through it without taking a break from school. I had five days in the hospital after having a cesarean and um, was Skyping during that time and turning in assignments online and um, communicating with teachers, reading my studies while recovering from a C-section. How did that affect you emotionally being in that vulnerable of a position both physically and mentally after just going through that, but yet having to, to still focus on your studies. I had a pretty big plate emotionally. I had planned for this beautiful, empowering experience with my mother and sister. And, and I imagined this beautiful birth um, of my son in, in a wonderful home environment and I had to transfer care um, earlier in my pregnancy when there were some compl complications. Um, and I needed to deliver at a hospital. And then all of those dreams of what that birth would look like um, just crashed and burned. And mm. everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. We, we nearly, both of us nearly lost our lives in that process. And um, it was difficult to lose that idea of this beautiful, sweet birth for my son and for myself and, and that empowering experience as a woman and, and as a mother and taking on that role. And I, I didn't even get to experience my son's birth consciously. Um, and it really wasn't, I didn't have the time to even consent to a C-section because it was an emergency situation. Um, and so for me, postpartum, I had a very hard physical recovery. Uh, my C-section was done in, in a very short amount of time. And it was a very stressful experience um, physically, having lost a great deal of blood and um, just the physical trauma of going through that as well as the emotional trauma, I was, I really had to process that. And I had to grieve the loss of that birth that I wanted, that ideal experience. Um, and I, I processed that with my own work through um, processing it musically, through processing it with friends and family, 
and processing with my own music therapist that I hired. Um, and if I hadn't done so much work on that and tried so hard while still focusing on my studies, something would have just missed the mark. Either I, I probably wouldn't have done well at all in my studies um, and only focused on on my physical and emotional well-being or my physical and emotional well-being would have suffered and my studies would would have gotten better and I had to manage that on a moment to moment basis on actively engaging in that healing process and in that um, process of becoming a good therapist and a good student and and all of those other wonderful things that we do in college. I find it so admirable that you took such a proactive stance um, afterwards, knowing that it was going to be an uphill battle. I think that a lot of the women that I've spoken with that did have postpartum struggles either didn't admit it to themselves or didn't realize the extent to which they were suffering until really it was, you know, too late or that kind of window had sort of closed and they had to struggle through it on their own. So I, th I think that's really wonderful that you, that you found that help and that support so early on. Yeah. And I was very blessed to be surrounded by very understanding and, and probably more politically liberal people and um, who really encouraged me to do what was best for myself and for my son. And, and my teachers were so supportive and, um, I, I knew um, just from what we're taught in school, Meryl Hurst is so adamant about teaching you how to take care of yourself and, and to really manage the experience of becoming a therapist and, and the roles that we take on and looking at ourselves at the deepest level. Um, I don't think that I would have had those skills had I gone to a different school maybe or um, just a different experience with different people. I was very fortunate to be surrounded by such loving and insightful people. So if you did have to have that experience, at least you were in the perfect place to have that support. That's wonderful. So what point in your studies were you at when once your son was born? I was in my winter term of my junior year, basically. Okay. So were you expected to do practicums and, and have those experiences at this time? Yes and no. So I got the chance to, um, when I got pregnant and I decided to continue with my education, I sought guidance from my professors and I had very open communication with them and uh, we arranged classes and practicum around delivery. So I was able to do a practicum during the summer um, I was able to do a lot of classes, like a very heavy caseload before I was, um, before I, I delivered my son so that I could take a little bit lighter load and I didn't have to do the practicum in the first two terms of um, my son's life. Oh, so nice. So really pay attention to him and, and meet his needs. Yeah. How did you logistically balance caring for your son and being a full-time student? That wasn't easy. Let me tell you. Um, I, so my, my delivery was very late. He was over two weeks late. 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> and he was supposed to be born right before school started. So I was like, okay, no problem. New term, I'll maybe take a couple of days off and then I'll be able to, to get right back into it. Um, that was not the case. <laughs> school started. I was in a great deal of physical pain from pregnancy that last month was very painful um, just from some complications and just miserable overall. It was really hard to focus in, but I had, I knew I had to get ahead in my reading. And so I read as much as I could before delivery. And um, I did everything that I could do while I was in the hospital. And then um, after that, I, I really managed my, my caseload around my son's needs. So while he was sleeping, I was studying. And while I was nursing him, I would set up a music stand beside my chair and I would read the chapters that I needed. Um, little ones, they nurse a lot. Mm -hmm. So I got a lot of reading done that way, but I still took time. I always made sure that I had at least one time of, of being with him and nursing him uh, without any reading and really taking that dedicated mindful time to be with my son and to um, really create that bond with him and when I was when I was actively in, engaged in music I I did very baby centered activities with music with him and that really kept up with my music skills as well as bonding with my son yeah absolutely that's so nice that you could bring both of those worlds together. Yeah. And as far as like the logistics of going to class physically. Yeah. That's what I'm interested in hearing. <laughs> um, you know, it's really interesting because I, you know, with, with breastfeeding, um, I had to make sure that I was making sure that he was fed. And then I would, I hired one of the students, um, a couple of the students volunteered to um, help just sit with him and hold him while I was in class um, for a, sh a small fee. And it was just incredibly helpful. Oh, wow. So you would actually take him to campus with you? Yeah, he was never. Oh, that's so like, nice. Yeah, for a long time. He was, he was just, I did a lot of baby wearing. He um, was just always with me. And just that very close contact. And that really saved our relationship. And allowed for that bonding time while I still was able to support us because I logistically I could not support a baby without a college degree there was just no way I you know jobs that I was qualified to do was not going to pay for childcare and still support us at the same time so I the decision to continue with my studies right away was that um, I would rely on financial aid um, and my student loans and just live on a, a very small amount for the first while. And that, that worked for us. I still look back and I'm like, how did that work? But it worked. That is, that is just amazing. I honestly can't fathom how, how you made that work, but I, I just am so blown away by that. We were with a lot of, of love and patience from my family, from my friends and from uh, my teachers, but I mean, there's one in particular, my choir teacher, um, he was just incredible. Um, he would always let me just bring baby with me because he 
my son loved music and he would just curl up while I was wearing him and he would just fall asleep while listening to to the choir sing and and he would just be so so sweetly asleep and so beautiful yeah yeah. (laughs) wow wow so how did things unfold as as you began to to um, near the end of your studies with your son so as he got older he needed more support and just more stimulating activities that um you know friends at school couldn't really provide you know you did they mean well but they don't really necessarily have the education to provide those stimulating and um, activities for babies and developmentally appropriate activities so i looked around and i found a program um like through a church who provides daycare they provided daycare for my son for almost no fee. So I got a scholarship um, for the rest of my studies through this program. And it was just from asking around and and seeing what can you do? I mean, I have this need and we're good people. And um, is there, are there any scholarships and just asking around and seeing what, what people could offer. Um, And it was a humbling experience. I had to really set aside my personal pride and just ask for help um, from people. But that was how I managed the last year of um, of school, really. Um, I was really fortunate to have my son with me for most of the first year of his life. Um, but the second, you know, part of my, the last year of my education, I really needed that support from from a daycare. And I was really fortunate to have found that resource. Wow. That's, that's so wonderful. It sounds like you had a lot of angels around you during this time. I did. Yeah, absolutely. So once you finished your senior year, what happened next as far as um, starting your endeavor with private practice? So after my senior year, um, Let's see. Well, that last term ended, let's see, June 14th. And my internship in Arizona started on June 16th. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So not only did you have to move, but you also had to get into that mindset of, you know, internship. And it's a completely different world than being a student. Yeah, total kind of like emotional whiplash. (laughs) Um, had to completely change my frame of mind and be like, all right, we're going to do this. And I didn't quite adjust until maybe my second or third week. And then um, after that, I I just took those same skills that I learned in Portland and, and I applied them to this new situation and um, focused a lot on self-care and caring for my son and... Um, and just made it work. Did you there have was, family oh, around you there in Phoenix? Not at all. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Oh. I, didn't know, I didn't know anyone. I had no connections. Um, I just picked up and, and moved. And my family really helped me to move. And that was just amazing. I was really lucky to have that support. Um, but it was, it was a challenge. So did you have plans as far as childcare for your son once you started your internship? 
yeah, so I did a similar situation with daycare um, and I really was able to manage that pretty well. Um, also, my parents offered a little bit of support um, during that time and they were just incredibly supportive. So um, I just managed it that way. And then um, my internship was, was really eight to four, 4.30 and that was the designated time. I didn't have to spend extra time on that. And so I actually ended up with maybe a little bit more time with my son during my internship than during school. And um, nice. didn't have that nighttime homework. So. That's very nice. Mm -hmm. So after your internship ended, then how did you make the switch from internship to private practice? Yeah, that was tricky. I had job offers and I was like, yeah, great. This is gonna, this can really support me and my son and we can be professionals, hooray. And, um, and everything's gonna be dandy. And then I um, did a lot of soul searching and, and did a lot of personal prayer. And, and I was very surprised when the answer that I got through my prayers was that this wasn't the right opportunity and not the right time. And I was very um, frustrated with that answer, uh, but I had to trust it because that, that kind of confirmation had never gone wrong for me. And now I really see why. I moved back to Oregon and I stayed with my parents for a little while, which was a little bit frustrating. It was like taking 10 steps back and uh, that's not what I wanted to do. Um, but I did because I had to trust that that was going to be the best thing for my son. And my son was just pleased as peaches to be hanging out with grandma and grandpa. I'm sure uh, he was. And how old was he at this point? Two. Okay. Yeah. So he, um, he was just thrilled and he's just developmentally, he just w developed in leaps and bounds during this time. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how on earth like a little kid like that can just blossom like that in, in a time of so much stress and, and a really trying experience. Um, but he did it and he is all the better for it. He is such a strong and sweet, sweet kid. Um, so even though we had all these moves and and trying experiences, I am just so in awe of the tiny little human being that he is and what he's grown into. Well, it sounds to me like you passed a lot of your will and resilience on to him. <laughs> One can hope, right? We <laughs> provide as much of that education for our children as we possibly can and we just hope it sticks but I think really as as the kind of person that he is and as as his own person he's just an incredibly uh, resilient strong and loving person and I know that that comes from him because there's all these other things that he's you know kind of manifesting now like he loves loves football right so he watched the entire Super Bowl. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he, I promise he did not get that from me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just wonderful to, to see that um, even through all these trials, just the, the beautiful person that he is, um, he was really what made this work. Yeah. So aside from the challenge of moving in with your parents and having to really ask for that help during this time, 
What were some of the other challenges that you faced as you were getting your practice up and running? Yeah, um, I think my physical recovery has been very hard since my C-section. And on top of that, I was, I had struggled with carpal tunnel and um, during pregnancy. That was one thing that I got during pregnancy. And then eventually that went away and instead it came that I actually was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And so physically, I've been struggling with that. Um, But I've been finding some good ways to manage it and really kind of trying to refocus on my personal health while balancing the needs of my business. It's such a demanding experience creating a business from nothing. I, I really had absolutely nothing after internship. I had a small stipend from, um, from the facility, but uh, really I was building this from just a dream. And I, uh, I've learned so much from it, like how to be a professional and, and to make cold calls and to um, build relationships with people and, and things that I never thought I was going to do. Private practice was not something that I wanted to do, but it was something that I knew that was going to be right for the community. And I knew that I could do so much for them. And so um, just those struggles of starting a business from learning how on earth to create an LLC, what on earth is an LLC, (laughs) (laughs) things that I had never learned in college. I've learned about insurance reimbursement. And so now I'm talking with people about, you know, how can you be reimbursed for seeing me, Um, which is another huge step towards advocacy for music therapy in my area. And and I think maybe that's another reason why I'm here and in this place and unexpectedly doing the work that I'm doing is that I have a passion for that advocacy. And I see that I can do such great through... um, through insurance reimbursement, you know, every single claim I put on, you know, put on someone's desk, that's an opportunity to advocate for our profession and to do some good for the community. Um, So, you know, that's just been challenging and rewarding. There hasn't been anything that's just been a total downer in this process. Everything has been such a rich experience um, through learning and through connecting with people and um, really growing as a professional. I never thought that I could go to someone and say, I'd like to arrange a business arrangement with you. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that was, I, you know, if you had asked me, I'd be doing this maybe three years ago, I probably would have been like, nah, I don't think so. Um, just because that wasn't really my natural um personality. I'm not necessarily the businesswoman. I'm very passionate about what I do, but the business side of things um, was a hard thing to learn. And again, I was so blessed by uh, my family because my father knows business like like nobody's business. He is a businessman and he taught me everything I know about business. I am such a better professional for having 
worked with him and he's given me so much insight. And I've also had the opportunity to reach out to members in my, in my community um, who are music therapists who have given me so much guidance on how to start a business. And I've really overcome this fear of, of asking people for help. Like there's nothing wrong with asking for help. We as a community need to do that in order to connect on a really real level until you show your your vulnerability and ask for help, then the community is, is you know, just surface level supportive to really create that deep relationship with each other. We need to be uh, vulnerable and say, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, I think that's such an important point. And not only necessarily in business, but as music therapists and as mothers, you know, asking for that support is hard for a lot of us. And I know that for me, I I didn't like to ask for help the first time around and postpartum and through that first year of, of being a mom. But this time around, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to ask for help at every point that I can and accept any help that comes my way because I know that that I do need it, you know, no matter what my ego tells tells me, I need I need to accept that. So I think that's a really important point that you make. So with your private practice, have you found that you've been able to structure your schedule and your work hours in order to support your son since you're since you're sort of doing that on your own, right? Yes. So I'm, you know, this is really just me and my son making this work. And mm-hmm. um, so I set very strict hours. You know, I work from eight to five and and that's my hours. And it, it works well within that. And people are more than happy to pay my fee. I've never had anyone say, oh, that seems like too much. Or, you know, can you do a discount or something like that? It's, it's very reasonable. It's, um, my pricing is done through guidelines with um, the national averages as posted by the American Music Therapy Association through that survey that they do um, yearly. And um, so I, you know, I've never run into an issue where people are like, oh, but we have to have you at seven o'clock tonight. And um, because it, they, I've built a relationship with them. And when you build that, that re- relationship, you develop trust and, and they trust that, when you say those are your hours, that there's a reason for those hours and um, they respect that. I think that the people that I work with really respect that I have a personal life and and they respect what I do during the hours that I, that I work. That's wonderful. And I have to agree with you. I know that for a lot of people, they try to separate that, that personal and that professional boundary, but in private practice, you know, I found that that the more upfront, upfront and honest I am and strive to make those personal relationships, that only helps my business and that only helps me, you know, uh, better my relationship with those that, that I work with. So I think that's that's a wonderful point. So what are some of the most fulfilling aspects for you? I know that it's comes with a lot of challenges, but I'm sure that the rewards are huge too. Absolutely. Um, 
I had to work so hard during such a short amount of time during school. And even now I really have to make the most of every minute. And so it's, it's made me such a good professional in that I work so hard and I am so dedicated to what I do. Um, it's also given me such a great understanding of, of patience and compassion. Um, having a newborn in school, it's just, you have to be patient, not only with what's going on with your little one, but with yourself, with um, having compassion for your struggles um, and really extending grace inwards. You know, we, we, as a helping profession, so often we put so much love out there and, and really show so much to our clients, but we also have to extend that same love that we show others to ourselves. Um, yeah. And also, I mean, there's nothing quite like um, raising a kid to show you how to be flexible. Ain't so. that the truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's also really pushed me to be more of a musician as well, because he loves music so much. Uh, you know, I start humming something and he is dancing. He's got so many moves. Again, totally him. He does not get that from me. <laughs> He's very, very musical. Well, and, and that comes in as no surprise, considering that really from the moment he was born, he's been immersed in music and surrounded by it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what are some ways that you do take care of yourself? Or do you have hobbies or things that you turn to in order to just really get that you time? Yes. I do. I struggled so much in school with balancing my needs with my my son's needs. It was so hard. And a lot of what I did during school was focused on emotional and physical recovery, going for walks, seeing a music therapist, journaling, things like that. Okay. I have so I have to admit I'm horrible at journaling, but when I do it, it feels really good. So, um Journaling, journaling with no expectations of when I'm going to journal next. Um, and then during my internship, it shifted. I had to do more regular journaling. Um, I also started seeing a massage therapist, which was amazing. I recommend that to anyone. Um, also taking time out of every day to do a really, really quick warm up on the guitar, like, I mean, five minutes, just to focus on the ergonomics of playing and to do a physical check with myself. Am I, am I playing this right? And, you know, that's hard when you're in the clinic, so you have to do funky things and bend this way and crouch that way. But um, there's so much that you can do to keep those ergonomics um, in mind. Uh, and then I have to do music just for myself from time to time. It's not an everyday practice for me. It's something that I take very seriously and I do um, very seldom because it is a huge emotional expression for me, um, whether it's a songwriting experience for myself that I don't share. I don't share pretty much any of the songs that I write because they are very deeply personal. Um, and Or it's a, an improvisation or just goofing around 
for a few minutes um, and it's still emotionally so involved of an experience for me. And that being said, I have to have silence from time to time. Um, without that, I just get so overwhelmed all the time. It's, it's such an emotional experience for me in, in music that I have to take some time for silence to process that emotion and just to let it, let it rest and let it be. And finally, what I love very dearly that I've gotten back into is my art. I was an art history studio major for almost four years. I almost finished, well, maybe not almost finished. I was an art studio, art student, so we kind of uh, take our time to finish things. Um, but that part of my life was very important to me. Um, so painting, again, has been uh, wonderful as self-care. And I'm sure it's really cathartic, too, to have that outlet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it sounds like you've really figured out some effective tools for taking care of yourself, which I think we all need as music therapists, but especially as mothers and especially as business owners, it takes a toll on you and you need to, you need to refuel yourself in those ways. Yeah. And I in no way do this on a weekly basis. That's just not practical for me. So I, I do carve out certain times. It's not every day. A lot of the times, sometimes my daily practice of self-care is forgetting absolutely everything and indulging in one um, shameless episode of something on Netflix. <laughs> as much as I hate to admit, that's just sometimes you just have to. Oh, I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah, but it's really, you know, you have to see self-care as like the intention behind it. It's not that it's a gluttony. It's uh, an intentional care for oneself. Exactly. And you can't force it. You have to do what feels good in the moment, what feels good for you and what your yeah. soul really needs at that moment in time. Yes. <laughs> Even if I have time to schedule a specific activity, I'm, sometimes I just don't do it or I do something totally different. Um, but I think probably the funnest thing that I have scheduled um, for my self-care is a very, very special date night with my son. The last Friday of every month, we go and we have one special dinner out. And he loves it. We do fun things at the table. We're silly. And I know I don't have to clean the kitchen. And it's just so much fun. And that's the one thing that I had regularly scheduled um, every single month. And I never miss it. And it's just such a, a special time with me and, and my son. That's such a fun idea. I love that so much. I might have to borrow that. <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, Daniel, you've had so many experiences and just really in a short time, it seems like you've packed a lot in. And I know that, that music therapists can learn so much from what you've shared. Um, aside from what we've already talked about, do you have any other tips or advice for music therapists who are maybe thinking about becoming a mom or are already going down that path? Absolutely. So I think first and foremost, the most valuable, valuable advice that I ever got from someone um, was a colleague and, and she said to extend grace in words. 
to really love yourself and take that time to extend the same grace that you extend to others onto yourself and um, just to forgive yourself for, for the messy kitchen, for the laundry, for the song that I didn't learn, for the things that I didn't quite uh, make right to forgive myself and to love myself just the way that I am. Um, that being said, to also to reach out into your community, into the music therapy community, into the medical community, to everything, um, just to reach out. Please do that because um, I just wouldn't be the same without them. And um, I just know that that's such a wonderful benefit to our profession is that we have this ability to reach out in so many different ways. Um, so I would just encourage people to, to reach out. I think that's wonderful advice. Thank you for sharing that. And do you have any music therapy projects or news that you want to share with us? Sure. Well, I do have my private practice. It's called Refuge Music Therapy. Um, I actually built it off of a lovely quote by Maya Angelou that um, inspired me to be a music therapist. She said, um, music was my refuge. I could crawl into the space between the notes and curl my back to loneliness. Um, that being said, I really think that that what I do is really seeking to, to create a community and to create discussion. So I'm actually starting a blog. Um, so that's, you can find that um, through Blogspot. It's just called Refuge Music Therapy. And um, I will be posting ideas on interventions and just ideas about starting a practice and and general just um, new thoughts and ideas to share with the community. And, and it's really meant as a place to connect and to share. That's great. And I'll definitely make sure to link to both of those places in our show notes um, because I think that you have a lot to share. And I know I personally am looking forward to reading your blog. So that's great. Well, it's just starting, so give it a little while, but it's going to be something really exciting, I promise. Uh, I have no doubt about that. And one last question for you, Danielle. Do you have any favorite products or books or resources related to either music therapy or motherhood or all of the above? Yes. Um, so I really love this book that I um, read during my internship. It's really changed me as a therapist and a person and a, and a mother. Um, called Healing Ceremonies. I actually did not grab the author's name, but you can find it on Amazon. It okay. is a beautiful piece about uh, creating ceremony in your life and the difference between a ritual and a ceremony and that intentional um, just ceremony that you can make for yourself and, and create healing in that way. Um, and it, it's really benefited my clients as well. I've been able to create a ceremony for clients that that need that sort of support. Um, and then also I've benefited so much from musictherapyed.com. I really love all of their um, activities and, and things like that, that um, it's really helped me to learn more about a business and, and how to uh, get reimbursed for insurance and things like that. So I highly recommend that. Awesome. Yeah, I have to second that too. So. Yeah. Great, great resources. Thanks for sharing. 
Well, Danielle, I really can't thank you enough for being on the podcast and sharing your story. I just find you so inspiring, and I know that my listeners will too. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to share. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to send Danielle a message, you can contact her via email, danielleor at gmail.com or refugemusictherapy.com. Would you like to be a guest on the show? Let me know. Get in touch and find the show notes for this episode at guitarsandgranolabars.com. And if you feel so inclined, please leave a review on iTunes. I'll talk to you again next week.